Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be discussing Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, sharing some current events and conversing about raising children. I am Molly Kingston, your producer, and joining me on the panel is Pastor Ben Kingston, Dr. Gavin Hooks, and Ryan Mayberry. Gentlemen, riddle me this. I am easy to lift, but hard to throw. What am I? Spirits is not the answer. Is it in the ballpark? No, not even close. If you would like to try to guess the answer, for those of you in the audience, you can text the number on the screen, and I'll give the correct answer if anyone guesses it. That was a good guess, Gavin. I thought so. Yeah. Spirits, yeah, that's a good one. We encourage you to text any questions or input about all topics of discussions we broach. As always, if you listen later online, please comment your answer on the Facebook post and then like and share so others can join in on the fun. Our first segment is Romans 6. Verses 15 through 18. All right. So for the second time, Paul basically says, uh, what then? Uh, and I did not bring, someone got it pulled up, the actual passage. Yes. Read it for me, 15 through 18. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Okay. So uh, this what then is the same way it started. Uh, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he is reiterating after he's already, if you will, given the slam dunk of the power, powerlessness of sin and yours and my ability to overcome sin because of Christ's blood uh, and his resurrection. Uh, and so here are the words of John MacArthur. The doctrine of grace has always been subject to the false charge that if all the person has to do is accept Christ in his forgiveness of sins then all the moral restraints are lifted. The apostle answers this in the first half of chapter 6, but because the misunderstanding was so common and the issue so critical, he gives the answer again from a slightly different perspective. Now, before we go any deeper, I thought it a little curious last week when I, you know, played the devil's... You advocate. Know, yeah. Actually, you guys played the devil's advocate. I told you my sugar stick was eternal security. Well, you guys all had arguments against that. Why? Because we were playing the game the devil's advocate. <laughs> no, no. Where did you learn those arguments? Mine was a legitimate question that I've been dealing with lately. I got Just you. trying to rationalize that verse with what, I'm with you. what your point is. Well, so the reason I ask is all of the arguments, I knew every one of those arguments that y'all come up with because that is what people hammer me on, if you will. They don't. Es especially if they were, because you know, there's a group of churches that, that they, they raise their people to believe that, just like we raise our people to believe eternal security. And, and they're fair questions, and, and they, they need to be answered in, in such of that nature. Well, so th that's what Paul is doing here. Uh, he, he's trying to make sure that he's not arguing that you can live whatever life you want to just because you're saved. 
and, and, and absolutely, and we're going to build that as we go here. But um, before we go any further, do you guys want to, I mean, it's just two words at this point, but uh, anything you want to throw in about basically he's saying, you know. He's doing devil's advocate yeah, here. Yeah, sure he is. So then John MacArthur says something that, that I think we all ought to just soak in for a moment. Uh, the doctrine of salvation by God's grace working only through man's faith and apart from any works is the furthest thing from a license to sin. So he's making an argument here that he agrees with Paul and that on, on no level from Scripture can you use Scripture to argue that God's grace is a license to sin. I mean, that's blasphemy. And, and it's, it's the exact... God's grace is a license to be free from sin. God's grace is the only way you can be free from sin. But I thought it interesting. Now, you know, and I'm going to poke a little fun here at John MacArthur. He'll never know that I did this because he'll never... He doesn't know Ben Kingston exists. It's okay. Someday in heaven, I'll go and thank I'll him. I'll email him and make sure. I'll thank him for all this. the sermons he helped me, you know, preach and things of that nature. But uh, John MacArthur is a Calvinist. There's room for Calvinists, okay? I don't tend to agree with them. Uh, but the bottom line is, is, is he is. But he says right here, through man's faith. Okay, so on the first side, you got God's grace. The doctrine of salvation by God's grace. So that's coming from God's perspective. Before the foundations of the world, I chose you. But then, you know, the old saying is, is when you walk up to heaven after you die, you're going to see there, uh, uh, whosoever will may come, Okay. That's man's free will. That's man choosing Christ. But, but how and why did he ever have the opportunity to choose Christ? Because the Spirit of God woke him up enough, if you will, to say, you want this or not? And, and so our free will is exercised by saying, yeah, yes, Lord, I, I want that. But, but it's apart from works. It, it, the faith is a gift in and of itself. Then you walk through those gates and you turn around and you see it says, before the foundations of the world... God chose you. And so that's the two, if you will, I don't like the word equal, but that's the two parts of salvation. God provided everything. Man simply has to receive. Any other comments? Well, you're not, like a good business model is you don't pay off someone's debts right. for them to go and accrue more. That's exactly right. That's exactly so right. That, when you that's are, good model. I know, it just came to me out of nowhere while you were talking. <laughs> And you're not what even a business drinking? person. No, I'm not. I hate I hate business and money. But yeah, you know, he paid it, off. Have you taken a vow against money that way? <laughs> <laughs> I will never use money. Okay, so um, once again, the doctrine of salvation by God's grace, working only through man's faith and apart from any works, is the furthest thing from a license to sin. And I, I've never been able to say it that clearly or if you will, that smartly. But what I've always said is, is it's a misunderstanding to believe that someone that truly, legitimately gets saved as a result of repenting of their sins. I mean, they are heartbroken over the fact that Jesus, the sinless Savior, had to die on the cross for their sins. That that person is doing that just so they can keep sinning. Hmm. It, it doesn't work that way. And, and a person that goes into it believing that you know, they're not truly saved. You, you, you don't accept Christ so that you can keep sinning. Comments? Yeah, so, so 
having the realization of that that you need to be saved comes with the realization of what sin has done to you. Right. And, and that affiliation needs to be broken, and you understand that. That's why you're choosing uh, a life with Christ and accepting his gift of salvation. And the free will of man in here is just, it's just woven throughout this. The, the, you're free to choose. You, but once you've chosen, you either have chosen or you haven't. You, there's no middle ground here. You don't continue to embrace something that you left because you knew it harmed you. Correct. Now, I think, you know, using that as a springboard, we are still in the old flesh. We struggle with this old flesh every day. So, so you made the once and for all decision, I'm, I'm accepting your finished work of the cross for my sins. But now daily you have to make the choice, I, I'm going to live in that example. Now, you know, what, what I tell people is, is that if you can live like the devil all day long and go to bed without one pang of conscience, you need to check your salvation. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I'm telling you, you know, that's why I, it's one of the reasons why I strive to have uh, the closest character I can to uh, Christ is because I have to sleep at night. And, and if I have wronged people and I have lied to people and whatever you want to call it, Ben ain't sleeping much, you know, and, and until we get that straightened out. Comments? Ryan, you keep smiling over there. You got I'm, I'm in agreement so far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, break in when you get this yeah, Oh, yeah. Shall we sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, Paul says, and then he says this, God forbid. So Paul gives the same forceful and an unambiguous denial that he gave in verse 2. This is still MacArthur. The idea is no, no, a thousand times no. And that's what John is basically saying that in the Greek, that's what that God forbid means. No, no, and a thousand times no. The mere suggestion that God's grace is a license to sin is self-contradictory, just like Molly pointed out uh, with the business model. A logical as well as a moral and spiritual absurdity. You know, and again, these are John MacArthur's words. I can't think that deep. The very purpose of God's grace is to free man from sin. And, and when you think about it, you go back to your conversion experience. You go back to you know, a deep, dark time in your life where you were, were trapped, if you will, in a habitual sin, but yet God's grace broke through. Spirit of God broke through, and you got freedom. Whether, again, whether it was the first time you got saved or uh, when you had victory over a habitual sin. You got no desire. You, you do not want to ever do that again. Now, it may change tomorrow, but right then, right there, it, it's an absurdity to think. I can use God's grace to keep doing this. Mm. That it's an absurdity. Comments? You've mentioned before, it's like, especially with habitual sin, like imagining you you driving the nails. Like every time you make that sin, you're there at the cross. You know, either spitting at His sacrifice right. or purposely putting Him there on the cross. I mean, we've already purposely put Him there as sinners. Right. But now you're not doing, doing it, it in ignorance. You're right. doing it knowing that that's what's happening. David said, and I don't, I truly do not know if he said this pre-Bathsheba or after Bathsheba, but he said, Lord, protect me from presumptuous sin. And and that means that, eh, it's okay. Right. You know. Yeah. 
It's a little white lies. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I I think all of us, when we're just being silly at times, especially, you know, it's like anything. If you go really deep into the sports world, you get to where everything is about sports and stuff. And, well, when you go deep with Christ, you know, just about everything has a, a Christ slant to it. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll joke about, ah, you know, it's all good. I think there's a fine line between that and really in your life saying, yeah, you know, right. I'm going to heaven. What does it matter? Mm-hmm. You know, well, th- that's presumptuous sin. And even though, I, I, again, we're dangerously close to, to what we're saying doesn't happen. Uh, if you're a child of God, God's not going to let you get away with that very long. You know, uh, the, the old, the old uh, as Max Lucado says, um, the Abraham Lincoln story about, I wish I could give him a little bit of hanging. You know, uh, the mom was was abdicating for him to pardon her rascally son. And he did because she just stayed after it. But he was such a rascal that he said, I wish we could just give him a little bit of hanging. You know, uh, and, and we've all had those times where we know, okay, Lord, you know, I, I, I hear you. You're trying to get my attention. I think, too, when he says... You're not under law, but under grace. I think it's a good transition from the old Jewish view of you got to keep the law and that's how you get into heaven versus going into Christianity. 100%. To their view, when they hear, you know, you're not saved by the law, you're saved by grace, they think discard the law. But he's saying you don't discard the law, you still keep the law, but it's not what lets you enter into heaven. Absolutely. Uh, Again, one of my favorite and I forget where the verse is at, but the law is the schoolmaster to teach you. You're not going to make it without a Savior, you know. So, so the law is invaluable. The, the law is God's idea. It just was never meant to be the way to get to heaven. The law is the way to the cross, you know. Um, don't lie. Don't cheat. Uh, don't covet. You know, I mean, those three alone, I mean, we're all done for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By noon. And, right. And, and, and so when, when you wrestle, if you will, with that, uh, and that is the right way to say that word. Okay. Just wrestle. You know, yeah, that's right. From Arkansas, wrestle. Uh, when you wrestle with that, you, you realize, uh, I got no hope. I've got no hope outside of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, and I think even the Old Testament Jews forgot that it wasn't the law that made them righteous in God's eyes. It was the sacrifices that they had to do in order to forgive them for their breaking of the law. Again, the law was just pointing out that they will never meet God's standard of holiness. And it was faith even back then because like Abraham, it was counted unto him as righteousness Righteousness. that he believed God, not that he was making sacrifices or keeping the law. Right, and then like when King Saul had his whole little thing with the uh, the A people. Yes, yes. Amorites, Uh, was it them or the... There was a whole lot of... When he was supposed to kill King Agag. Yes, yes. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Exactly, yeah. Well, so uh, along those lines, uh, he goes on and he says, how then could grace possibly justify continuing in sin? Grace not only justifies, but also transforms the life that is saved. Now, that's what I had always tried to convince the person that I was talking to, is that if you've truly tasted 
the love and forgiveness of God, the last thing you want to do is disappoint him. The last thing you want to do is betray him, you know, and, and the such, and, and mock his, you know, sacrifice for you and I. So then he says these words, the life that gives no evidence of moral and spiritual transformation gives no evidence of salvation. And so, you know, the, the preacher's, uh, no Christ, you know, uh, you know, no salvation. Uh, or I'm sorry, no change, no Christ. There we go. Uh, but then um, if you K-N-O-W Christ, then you're going to know change. You know, Christ loves you too much. I mean, I, you know, preachers have all these little uh, quirky things that they do when they get in front of new crowds. And one of my favorite is, is they'll say, turn to the person on your right and tell them God loves you too much to leave you like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, nice if icebreaker. Every, yeah, yeah. Everybody laughs until they realize, Lord, help, he just offended me. <laughs> He's telling everyone. me. Everyone. Right, yeah. everyone. So uh, then we have, how are we doing on time? We're good. I did want to point out that I, I appreciate the, well, I don't know about appreciate, but it's also a good viewpoint that he's talking here about servants and masters and that like I understand as Americans we don't have I mean I don't know probably the world no one wants to be a slave or a servant Correct. to anyone but in our spiritual life there are two masters and you are slave either to either one of them you are slave to either sin or to God right. and God proves himself to be the better master Jesus said that directly in Matthew 6 he said you can't serve You'll either love one and hate the other, or vice versa. Right. Yeah, uh, God and Mammon, mm -hmm. which Mammon represents, you know, the world and the world's goods and things of that there, nature. There's a difference in in a the bondage of sin, which is involuntary, mm. and the choice of being. So you're you're a slave yeah. to sin by by force, whereas you're choosing to be the slave of righteousness unto God. That's an honorable step of of humiliation or a step of of. Uh, humbling yourself and following. So there's a, there's a whole different, one is demeaning and, and debasing, the other one's honoring and, yeah. and a life of integrity uh, moving forward. I've always thought of this passage, passage in terms of military. So who, who you obey is your, your commanding officer. And if you're obeying the commanding officer of both armies, huh. you, you're a double agent. You, yeah, yeah. You're, you're eventually going to be killed by somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> somebody who's a, you're no you're, good to either you're one You're James of Bond. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to make a suggestion here. I believe we should save these next two verses for next week because it, it starts a whole new thought. Okay. okay. It starts with, know ye not, uh, and then he dives into really what you guys are talking about, uh, the, the servanthood and such, and, and there's three points that we want to really dive into, but I don't think we're going to have time to, to do it justice. I'll finish with this thought where he says, know ye not. Again, John MacArthur, an axiom is a general truth. It is so evident, uh, self-evident, it needs no proof. The statement, no, you're not clearly uh, rhetorical. In other words, it is clearly rhetorical, implying that his readers with will readily acknowledge the truth of what he was about to say if they gave it the least thought. So what could be more obvious than the fact that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one who you obey? So we'll, we'll dive deeper into that. There's three things that we want to talk about, uh, about being a slave. We were slaves. <laughs> yeah, VeggieTales. We were slaves. Uh, All right, very good discussion on Romans tonight. Um, 
current events. Does anyone have a current event that you would like to share? Mine's a glorious announcement. Pray for Women of Joy event uh, for safety, fellowship, and growth. Anything you want to add to that, Don? Good attitudes. Yeah. <laughs> open hearts, open minds. Ladies have bad attitudes? Everyone what? can have a bad attitude. <laughs> Especially when you get all of them together in one house. Yeah, but a man has never said, you wore that shirt just to make me look silly. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we go, ooh, twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I heard that from Jamie Ragel. You have to Google him. Too much fun. Too much fun. I got one. Uh, so has anybody heard the, uh, the Trevor Bauer saga that's going on right now? I, I've seen the headlines. I don't understand it. Tell us about okay, it. Okay, so I, I had heard it in passing until a couple days ago. I actually looked into it. But So long story short, baseball player, um, Sleeps with this girl, she accuses him of rape. He loses his career, goes to Japan, and has to play over there now because the MLB threw him under the bus and without any proof or anything. So after ruining his career, it comes out, he obtains proof through her text that she was lying about the whole thing and it was all a big sham, but his life, you know, it, it's over. Or not his life is over, right. but his career, his career in the MLB. Yeah. 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 It's so. been a two-year saga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was curious what you guys thought of it, if you had heard of it. And That's the first I I've heard of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I was listening to uh, Matt Walsh, and he had an idea that I thought was a really good idea. So when there's you know, uh, a rapist, they have to go on a registry. So his idea was that if you're a, a false accuser of rape, there should also be a registry for that. So yeah, you, can yeah. go, you know, avoid this person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, feel like right. it, I feel like that was a good idea. Yeah, if you're young, go check that registry before you ask a girl mm -hmm. out. You know, <laughs> just stay away if yeah. she's on there. Yeah. So social media has allowed us to circumvent our constitution because mm -hmm. he should have never been tarred and feathered mm -hmm. without evidence yeah. and a trial. Yeah, if there's evidence, then by all means. Right. But yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. In today's litigation, if he wanted to pursue it, he probably could, you know, own the world from MLB uh, and the such. Mm -hmm. And he should, in and my he opinion. And he should, right? Right. All right. A little, little lighter. I've got one. Okay, go ahead. You, you, well, Brad lighter. had something he popped yeah, up yeah. here on lighter the screen. This is, is this you? Yeah, yours? So you, you, you've heard of those uh, pop, those flash mobs that come up. They start singing at malls. Yes. And, yeah. you know, just I've always wanted to be a part of one. Yeah, <laughs> really cool. Well, apparently there's flash rev revivals going on around the United States, yeah. too. And yeah. this is another one. I don't know if anybody's heard about this one. This one is at uh, Auburn. Um, mm -hmm. It is. Apparently the one of the students went up to the coach and asked him if he'd go get baptized. 200 students went out ultimately and got baptized there. So just really cool. Uh, and now the ACLU is trying to get Hugh Freeze fired. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because uh, because he's being paid by a state-sponsored university. Uh, but, yeah, it's baloney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, I, that's the reason I heard about it, because it came on Blaze. Uh, and, yes, uh, how many got baptized? 200 to 400, something awesome. like that. So it's a couple hundred right there impromptu. Man, that'll wear your elbows out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a good these problem guys to have. Are young. Yeah. yeah, these guys <laughs> are young. I hope God continues this. So, so this is something happens. It's happened in our time. Here's a question, right. Brother Gavin. Do you know the Hugh Free story? I do not. Okay. So Ryan, not 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 completely similar, but from the standpoint of sexual sin, similar. Uh, Hugh Freeze was a coach at Ole Miss, and they were tearing up the world. I mean. You talk about air raid offense. He's just an offensive guru. And so 
they were going great guns. I believe they beat Alabama one year type deal. And uh, a text message shows up that he had sexted a uh, sexting or however you say it, uh, a young lady and she went public with it. It, it. Again, you'd have to read the details. I may have some of them a little skewed, but they fired him. He went to Liberty University and they basically, you know, they allowed him to coach. I mean, he's one of the best coaches we have. And Liberty became an amazing team overnight. And Hugh got a full dose, you know, because, you know, he was humiliated. He, I think he professed Christ, uh, which would fit in this whole setting, you know, that we've been talking about. Um, he, he, he was obviously doing things that, that he should not have done, and he got caught. Uh, but, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. The Lord doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so now he's, uh, after coaching two years at Liberty, he's now at Auburn. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're having a tough year this year, but it's his first year. So a redemption story, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Hugh Freeze is. is. So I, I take it he's turned his life around, too. That, that is the understanding. That, that is the, well, I mean, he's baptizing people. <laughs> <laughs> that was him that did the, yeah. the baptizing. Yeah. I thought he was baptized. No, oh, no. They came baptized. and got Hugh Freeze to ah. baptize. If I, if ah. I. I mean, Hugh has been living for the Lord for the last two or three years. Uh, and I believe him and his wife stayed together. Uh, again, I, some of the details might be a little off. Anyway, Lord, Lord, keep on doing it. Yeah. Do you have something you wanted to share? I did. I, I shared it. Pray for women of joy. Oh, that's For safety, right. fellowship, I, and growth. I passed out. I Thanks for listening. It. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Mine was just a really funny one because we've talked about it at school with the kids, but Alaska's popular Fat Bear Week could be postponed if the government shuts down. So Fat Bear Week is basically where they just they pick bears and they name them and they track them and they see how fat they get during this eating season. Right. And then the fattest bear wins. But it may not happen if the government Aww. shuts down. So sad <laughs> day. Well, all that means what is some poor do? bear's not going to get harassed before it goes into, <laughs> you know, because they, they tranquilize him because he ain't going to let you no. measure him. No, <laughs> no. Be still. All right, so we can move on to our mystery topic, which we have gone gone down to Ryan. All right, so uh, mine, I had a topic that I've been thinking about for quite a bit lately, and then uh, I was watching... Uh, Jordan Peterson's series on Daily Wire, the Exodus series, Exodus, yeah. and a point came up that kind of mirrored that, so I thought I would have that be my mystery topic, but um, they're going through Exodus, he reads the passage, and they all discuss it, but it got to uh, Exodus 1.8, and it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and it seems like a pretty, you know, straightforward verse, not much going on, but then Dennis Prager pointed out that it's a good window into human nature, that it was one generation after uh, Joseph saved them from famine and pestilence that they forgot who the Hebrew people were and then immediately started enslaving them, killing their children and everything else. Because so, yeah, they're going to take over. Yeah, yeah. Look so, at these people. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. They're, yeah. <laughs> so along the lines of making sure things get passed along down a generation, um, it made me have a couple questions to see what you guys thought. Um, Number one is how well do you think your generation or the previous, because I know we're in different generations, um, well, passed you on. Had to point that out, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> passed on their fundamental Just beliefs. Uh, that's question one. I'll let you answer it, and then I'll ask the other one. But Ter how well do you think terribly? Yours, 
terribly? Ter- I, I agree. Terribly. I'm curious what you thought. So uh, say that again. The generation before me passed it on to me? So or I was I? thinking of your generations, but I knew Molly was in the next one. So uh, you could answer for previous okay. and yours well, if you wanted. Well, and honestly, Ryan, I was thinking of my parents' generation to me. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think either, you know, their generation or my generation has done a superb job of, if you're talking about discipleship, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, your okay. fundamental beliefs, whatever they that's may right. be. So somebody didn't disciple Pharaoh as to how important Joseph was to Egypt. Somebody didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, when you look at the United States of America and our founding, that is, there, there's very few things that are better documented than how we were founded on biblical principles. Yet, we have 70 to 80, maybe 90% of our populace in America does not believe that we have mm-hmm. a Christian. And he worded it in those words, too. It's where it says, uh, uh, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said you could replace that, and it would fit perfectly in our story if you put, and there arose a new generation in America who knew not Madison. I mean, if yeah. if we were in a storybook right. like Exodus, it would be worded in that exact same way. Type right. Thing. And and not and not only that, my generation, because uh, I can remember eighth grade being told that ninety percent of our founding fathers were womanizers and drunks and yada yada yada. Uh, not until I ran across uh, David, David Barton did I know that that was an absolute mm-hmm. lie. Uh, a good number of our founding fathers found Bible societies that are still in. You know, action today. So, so half to two thirds were uh, divinity students. I yeah. mean, so a large percentage were divinity students. Uh, so, it, in it, speaking in cont- contemporary terms, the 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 demise of the family has has contributed to this. It's really stopped the flow of passing on of information and custom, and it, it's up to, in in my case, my generation. It's up to me to establish my heritage and what, what I want my kids to know from my past and, and what I want them to know about the past so that they can carry on uh, a Christian heritage uh, moving forward and why it's valuable. Uh, it's been invaluable to me. Uh, you know, I keep referring to Lauren Daigle's song, I don't know who I'd be if, it, if I didn't know you. Right. Uh, but I mean, that, that um, phrase in that song just encompasses my life. My young man, as a young man, I didn't know who I was. And studying scripture and digging into the deepness and the richness of Christianity really helped me know who I was. And and I can pass that on to my kids, and I, I've spent a good portion of my adult life writing things down. So I keep telling my kids, don't throw anything away. <laughs> Read it say for you. Uh, Whether she listens or not, I don't and, know. And I'm I'm most of it's in uh, computer form, so you could print yeah, it all sure. out and, and it all be done. But... If you want to know my heart, if you want to pass my heart on to my grandkids, I've I've got volumes of, of writing. You yeah. had other questions. Did you have an answer first, Molly, or like when, or you just no, saying how, like how, how well, well do, do I think, think they passed yeah. it down? Well, I mean, so dad and mom, I feel like I was very well exposed mm-hmm. to the truth of our history. Now there's definitely still some things 
again, that I was taught at school and that I'm learning now, oh, that probably is not actually accurate. But I wouldn't have the same probably criticisms that they share. Like, I feel like I had a, but I think it's because they realized that they weren't. But then also, I'm in a, I'm in a different home. Like, my generation, I think it's even worse now, right, than mm -hmm. theirs. I think there's a whole lot more lies being told and miscommunication, misinformation being mm -hmm. taught in schools. And that's actually what I was really thinking about this whole time is can we actually pinpoint when or what generation it was that stopped teaching the truth about our country's founding? And I don't know the answer, but if I were a betting woman, I would say it was when the Rockefellers started the school system and education. But that's going into conspiracy theories we don't have time for. <laughs> as a, yeah, as a general rule, if I had to pinpoint at the time, I would think basically right after the Cold War ended, because people got a lot, you could relax the, a lot more at that point. The seeds were planted in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. mm. But then, yes, in the 80s, in the 90s, I mean, it really good. I mean, ramped you up. Yeah. So start, yeah, we failed the test of prosperity. Barton would say in the 72, I think, is when the first case about prayer in school went to the courts well, and, 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 and abortion so. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, go ahead. Okay, uh, the second question kind of plays off of what Gavin was talking about is uh, what are you doing personally to pass on your beliefs to the next generation? For me, it's I've been as Maverick is almost here now, uh, really realizing that I've got to know what I believe to be able to pass it on. Yeah. So at this point, before he's here yet, um, my job is to to learn everything that I can that way I can pass it on. So what do you guys do specifically, or have you done? Writing for me in uh, using moments as uh, teaching moments, you know, when it, whenever that comes up, um, it's funny you should say that because you have, you'll have another uh, wake-up call, if, if you will, in 16 years from now, <laughs> when you think, oh my gosh, did I teach him everything he needed to know? Uh, so it, just as they're about to go out into the world, there's another wake, oh my gosh, did I get it all communicated? Did I demonstrate it all? Well, and, and so, you know, I'm pretty sure, I, I know I did this with uh, at least two, if not all three of them. At that stage of life, I sat down with all three of them and said, this is what I want to make sure that I communicated in the last 18 years. I want to make sure that you know how to get to heaven. I want to make sure that you're solid in that, you know, situation. Do you remember a conversation Yeah, like I do. That? Well, yeah, when <laughs> Uncle Gavin mentioned it, I was Success. like, yeah. She's going to make me really look foolish if she didn't. Um, but yeah, or just I, I have really bad memory. No, I, I did that, and and um, I probably did a better job with Molly than I have the other two, uh, because she was the first, you know. And and you, Gavin's one hundred percent right. You you have that have a little bit of hanging. Uh, they're fixing to leave my house, you know, uh, and the such. And so you know, my answer to the question is Deuteronomy six: as you rise up, as you go by the way, as you lie down. So I don't know, Dawn. You'd have to tell me, but. Molly was probably around 12 or 13 that, that someone really got that across to us. And so we just basically called it life lessons. If, if anything happened that the Holy Spirit said, ooh, you need to really nail that home. And I really hated any time you had a life lesson. That's right. Because <laughs> I just wanted they to move painful. on. <laughs> well, they were painful. They were long. Oh, I could see the I look already on knew Kim's them. face when a life lesson was coming. That's right. That's right. But anyway, um, it, because God honors that. God honors his word, you know. Uh, the only thing I didn't do, I guess you could say, is I didn't write it on the doorpost of my house, but I always wanted to. I wanted to get a, one of those wood-burning tools and 
write in, you know, those uh, scriptures and such of that nature. There's actually a family, homeschooling family uh, in our work that does that. that. That's a business that they have. Uh, they, they, and they're, they're beautiful, you know, how they, mine wouldn't have looked anything like that. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have been able to read it. But. Right. Yeah, I was thinking exposure, yeah. too, because, like, working in the school system, I said this the other day, I was like, I don't like this phrase, but in a lot of ways, we are raising the kids, like the teachers yeah. at school, because they have more yeah, exposure. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. I don't think it should be that way. That's why I hate saying it, but they have more exposure with us. Eight hours a day. Exactly. And so I think if you make sure that you are getting the same amount or more than you know anyone else, you're going to be able to pass on your your doctrine um, easier. Jamie did text in that she thinks it's all a result of the idea let your child make their own choice and not push your agenda, um, in her opinion. D Disney theology. Right. Yeah. Let them have, the, yeah. they got to find their own way. Yeah, but, but Which again. Which is ridiculous. Well, well, yeah, yeah. And, and what frustrates me, as parents, we don't do that with anything else. Right. So do you let your child make the decision on brushing their teeth? Now, looking at one of my child, you'd say, well, obviously you did that. No, no, no. We forced that kid. We tried. Yeah, we, we tried. tried. Uh, but anyway. We still, we still have to tie him down every once in a while and put whitener on his teeth. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, the, the, we, you know, we make them go to sports stuff. We make them, you know, do all these things. Uh, why would it be any different with the teaching of God's word? Set them down. Make it fun. Do, it, do as much as you can. You know, yeah, no, 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 no. Do all that you can. But do it. We, we do probably, and I'm speaking as a business owner, we pro I probably, I'm ashamed to say, in some cases, I did more to train my employees than I did to train my kids. Right. You know, I don't just say, oh, you're hired. Do, you, do your best. Right. Follow your That's heart. Right. Training. Yeah. Yep. They don't believe that in McDonald's. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Very good. If you're... Yep, that's good. That was Excellent. that was a beautiful very, mystery, very good topic. mystery yeah. topic. Very good mystery topic, Um, so our break today, the game we are playing is words to confound the wise. Who who's the wise people we're going to confound? Yeah. That's it's what I supposed to be us, but oh, I don't have okay. much hope in us. But that's okay. So each of us were supposed to bring a word. I'll go ahead and I can start with mine. So my word that I chose was gentacular. Spelled J E N T A C U L A R. Gentacular. Spectacular genetics. <laughs> no. I like, I like the guess. The, the, yeah, the, the gentacular generation. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Do you know what that word is? Means, Gavin? Not a clue. I don't know. Something over the knee. It makes me think of geriatrics. Uh, geriatrics? Yeah. <laughs> no, none of that. Oh, and I like the guesses. So the definition is pertaining to breakfast. So um, usefulness. I, this is an interesting part I've never seen in Webster's Dictionary, but when I looked it up, it's a degree of usefulness. Some might say it's the most important word of the day. <laughs> uh. So an example is spending the remaining hours of every day in reading or taking exercise by way of fitting himself for his labors or to use his own strangely invented phraseology, taking his anti-gentacular or post-prandial walks to prepare himself for the task of codification. Spell it for me. <laughs> Gentacular. Gentacular. J-E-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R. So I took a gentacular walk, or like a post-gentacular walk today, meaning I took a walk after breakfast. Oh, 
Okay. Never heard of it. Me neither. Kind, and I like anti gentacular. Don't do gentaculars. Don't do gentaculars. You are against co it. Co coffee, that's it. Oh, I, I definitely do gentaculars. Uh, you ready for mine? Yeah, go ahead. So mine's a, a biblical one. You probably all heard me say it in message if you listened. Propitiation. What does it mean, Gavin? The substitute. That's right. I, I knew it get guessed by or I knew he knew it. But uh, that's one of my... years of hearing your sermons. There you go. That's one of my favorite words. Because that's, that's what Jesus is. He, he's, mercy seat goes along with that too. You know, uh, he, he is our propitiation, our substitute. He took our place. So very that was good. quick and easy. Yeah, very good. Uncle Gavin? Nidus. N-I-D-U-S. Nidus. Is it close to tinnitus? No. Nidus. No. I don't know what nidus means. I can't I even no try to think to break it down. Like, it's such a short word. You can use it in a sentence. Johnny Unitas. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nidus. It's, it's a something that you get if you stay out at night too long. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Let's hear it. it. It's a impurity or debris around which an infection starts. There you go. Nidus. Nidus. Very good. The begin of an abscess. I was mm. excited when I saw that we were doing this because I've got a phrase that I've picked up and for whatever reason stuck with me, but I've ne I'll never be able to use it in conversation. Here it is. It's, a, it's three words, but I'll use it anyway, but it's okay. in flagrante delicto. In, so it's a different language, or is it's it in Latin, English? In okay. flagrante delicto. It's a... Drink at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable, but no. What's the second word? No whip. Please. In, first word, I-N. Yeah. Flagrante, F-L-A-G-R-A-N-T-E. Okay. Delicto, D-E-L-I-C-T-O. Is, is this PG or is this, is this for adults only? Or? <laughs> what does it mean, Ryan? So it, it literally translated means blazing offense or while the crime is blazing, but it means basically to be caught in the oh, very act of the very misconduct, yeah, especially that's what I was thinking. That's the context I'd heard it in, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> you, could, you, you were on the right track. I mean, you could use that with Maverick, like if he's doing something he's not supposed to, and you're like, I've caught you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Maverick, let's talk about Have a New Kid by there Friday, chapter oh. Tuesday. We're actually going to start with a little bit of a recap on Monday. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure, uh, because we, we did go pretty quick last week, and so uh, they've got a little inbox here on page 34 of the book, and we're still in the chapter of Monday, but just basically it says what to do on Monday. So the, the first little thing in the inbox is observe what's going on in your house. What areas in your relationship with your child really bother you? So, you know, what, what is it about the relationship between you and your son or daughter that really bothers you? And then two, think about how you'd like things to change. Now, something that I've not never gotten over, uh, and, and I agree with it 100%, a real leader can explain the reality of the present situation. So... You know, you ever heard, I don't understand what's going on. That's not a leader. <laughs> At that very moment, you, you don't need to lead because you don't have a clue. 
but a leader steps in and goes, I can tell you exactly what's happening. You know, they, they see the reality, and they can speak what the reality is. Well, so what he's asking you to do as mom or dad is to get it into reality. This is what's going on. My child is treating me as an equal. And he, even though before God, sure, humanity is equal, but mom and dad have more authority than child does. I mean, even with God, mom and dad have that, more authority that's absolutely than correct. Right. the child does. So think about how you'd like things to change. I would like for my child to respect my authority. I would like for my child to respond instead of react to my authority. Okay, number three, decide to take the bull by the horns. Ain't nobody else going to come in your house and do this for you. Maybe besides the, you know, the, the nanny. other spouse. Huh? The, the nanny from the, nanny, the, from the British show. And then four, expect great things to happen. You know, so you, know, you can imagine working through these first three steps, you might get pretty depressed. Oh, Lord, this is going to be hard. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. But then that last one, expect great things to happen. You know, again, th this is something that God wants you to do. This is something that God has empowered you to do. He's given you the authority over your child. He wants you to do this. And so we need to have faith and expect great things to happen. Comments? Yeah, I think a lot of parents don't occupy the station God has carved out for them. Uh, I think they, they, they want to be the friend, and they're not occupying a, a station or an office that's been furnished for them by God. And it's sad how countercultural that is to say that you're not their friend, you're their parent, yeah. too. That's right. And, and, you know, I believe that if we will be their parent, friendship will be a natural, you know, Elongation, Extension evolution, yeah, yeah, of the relationship. Yeah, as they age. So, so I think. Go ahead. What's you know think what you said? It's counterculture, and I think it's because we have so many broken people being parents right now. And yeah. I mean, you, everyone's broken, you know, at some point in time. Like that right, could right, be right, a general right. statement, but, but, but we know I, what you're saying. I think we have. <laughs> Especially ultra now, broken. Right, some yeah. more than others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or just like they want to be friends because they didn't feel like their parents right. were friends with them or didn't love them enough, and so they're trying to have that relationship. And I, with Tuesday, I know we're not quite there, but I appreciated how it was very much pointing back to the parent. Like, okay, you have this problem with your yeah, kid. Okay, well, that. what about you? Right. So let me. I just want to read this uh, testimonial at the end of Monday. Uh, she says, "Uh oh, caught me." But I'm sure glad you did. I thought I was such a great mom. My parents were so authoritarian, and we're talking about that, that I said I'd never be like them. I didn't realize that I'd gone the entirely opposite way. I hardly ever say no to my kids. I've been running ragged just to make them happy, and they're still not happy. Everybody tells me how much I'm doing, what a great, uh, how much I'm doing, and what a great mom I am for doing all this stuff. But I know the truth. I have a hard time standing up for myself. No more. A week ago, I adopted your principles of say it once, turn your back, and walk away. They really, really work. I'm stunned. My son willingly took out the garbage yesterday, even without me asking him. My daughter brought bread home from the store just because she noticed we were low. I can't believe the change. So, you know, th th that's cool, uh, and, and it pretty well speaks to what we're talking about. So, Tuesday, diving in here uh, to now implementing what we learned on Monday, which was say it, walk away. We're going to deal with the three things that every parent <coughs> wants 
to improve about their child. And Molly just said the key here is the key's not starting with your child. The key is starting with you. Uh, but the title is Tuesday, but then it says disarming the dude or dudette with the tude. So uh, want a kid with real character who isn't a character? Here's how. Uh, my wife Sandy always prayed for a man with character, and she got a character all right, me. Uh, that's what many children are today, characters. Perhaps that's why numerous studies show that the three, the top three long-term concerns of parents have to do with a new kid, I'm sorry, a new kind of ABCs, attitude, behavior, and character. One more reading here, and then we'll start talking. When the rubber meets the road, these are the things that matter most. These are the things that will continue into adulthood and make your child someone worthy of trust or not, someone who acts with kindness and respect toward others or not, someone who is honest or not. So he, he just dives in, uh, first of all, on the attitude. Now, this is pretty funny. He says, uh, did you know, Mom and Dad, that one child just looking at another sibling can be a criminal offense? <laughs> he looked at me. And we used to do that because, you know, all three of us boys rode in the back of a station wagon, and we did every one of these things. He's touching me. Mom, Barry's spreading out like a chicken. You know, all this stuff. And, and oh, my goodness, it was just on. So, uh, well, and what was interesting to me is he talked about how attitude is how the child views him or herself right. and what happens to her. Right. So their attitude is a reflection of that. And then it also made me laugh that he brought up the whole, who do you butt heads with? Is it the kid who is most like you or who is not like most? And it's usually the kid who is most, most like you. Most like you. Because your attitudes are button heads. That's right. So as... Uh, and I think, too, on that note, uh, for me, I've always noticed that people who are like me, for whatever reason, set off my pet peeves more than others. And I think the reason that is is because I know my own failings so then when i see it in somebody else it drives me nuts so i think that kind of plays it like it brings too. it to the forefront oh yeah, yeah i also do yeah. that i hate you get out of my face yeah, so they're doing the same thing that right, i'm doing yeah. yeah so in college there was this person that i did not like at all struggled with it a lot and a professor essentially said that very thing he said the person that you struggle with the most most likely has the the very same thing that you struggle with the most is their issue too. And you don't even realize that the reason you despise that person is because you struggle with that same situation. It made me mad. I'm, I'm not like that guy. I was exactly like that guy. Because uh, he was overbearing, he was too dominant. And he, yeah, that's, all, that's me, you know. Uh, and so uh, it, humility is the key to most things, if not all things. And so uh, he says here on page 39, attitudes are caught, not taught. There's a lot of truth to that. Attitudes are caught, not taught. So then he says what Molly pointed out a while ago. The key to changing your child is changing your attitude. Now, none of us wants to hear that. But the reality is, is, you know, back to Monday, sit down. What do you not like about what you're seeing? Put that on you and change you first. You know, th th this is a, a number one thing of counseling. <laughs> There's only one person that you can control, and that's you. Mm. And once you get you under control, God usually <clears throat> works all the other stuff out. Yeah, and it also plays into the verse that says, you know, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, it doesn't say don't help him with the speck. It says get the plank out of your eye first that's so right. that you can help him. That's right. 
I always struggled with when I was struggling with Megan, because she was the one training me, not me training her. I can't tell you how many times in I'd, I'd go to God and say, God, what, what this kid's never going to get this. What, what's going on? This, and and I realized I was having the very same issue with God, mm. and he he was bringing to into my in clear view that I was struggling with the same problem with him that she was struggling in our relationship with. Um, so almost in, after I learned that, almost every problem then had a solution. Right. I, I need to work on my attitude right. in this area. I, I'm so glad that the Lord worked with you on that because he did the exact same thing to me. I mean, it was almost, sometimes it was almost like God was screaming it from heaven. Yeah. When I'm correcting my child and asking him or her, what were you thinking? You know, what, what are you doing? And the Lord's like, hello. Yeah, hello. I've uh, been asking you that for weeks. So uh, let's, do we have time? Uh, there at the bottom of page 39, he goes into a, a, a scenario, okay? Uh, let's say your child, um, let's say you give your child a simple request. Please take out the garbage. I'm busy, your child throws back in your face and proceeds to read her novel. Ask yourself, what would I usually do in this situation? Well, if the kid's six years old, you'd probably physically force her to do it. If the child is 10, you may get a little more forceful with your words. You repeat your command a little more loudly. I said, take out the garbage. Now, I don't want to, the child says. What happens next? Your angry attitude kicks in. Just who does this kid think she is anyway? After everything I do for her, how dare she? You raise your voice more. Young lady, I said to do it now, and you're going to do it now or else. Your daughter doesn't even look up, <laughs> look up from her book. Why? Because she's heard your threats before, and they don't go anywhere. But what if your attitude changed? What if you remained calm? What if you didn't pester her further after you asked her once? What if you just walked away and expected her to do it? No reminders, no raised voices, no anger on your part. But Dr. Lena, what if she doesn't do it? I mean, my daughter wouldn't. Simply enough, just have another sibling do the job. Pay him. Take the money for the task out of your daughter's next allowance. <laughs> if you do it yourself, pay yourself out of your daughter's allowance. The point is, someone else is doing the work she should be doing. What's next? Your attitude remains calm. You remain in charge. Later, she says to you, okay, I'm ready to go to the store to get shoes now. You matter-of-fact response, we're not going to the store. But mom, you said you'd take me to the store. I don't feel like taking you to the store. Then you turn and walk away. No guilt, no anger, no explanation. You're calm and in control. I don't know if we have time to get to the behavior and the character. Uh, no. So I was just going to kind of end because that, that uh, little example goes, he goes into more, but then he hits these three things. When your children are giving you a run for your money, it's always important to ask yourself three questions that will help you view the behavior in the most helpful light. What is the purpose or purposive. Pur purposive nature of the behavior you're addressing? In other words, why is your child doing what he is doing? How do you, as the parent, feel in this situation? What do you think about the situation and the emotions you generate have everything to do with the way you respond to the situation? And three, is this a mountain, something that will matter in the long run, or a molehill? The situation will take care of itself, or is a small concern in the grand scheme of what you're trying to accomplish in your child's life? Um, and we're, and we're going to dive into all that yes, next week. Yes, yes. Um, on the behavior and character. But I think it's just important that he brings out, like you mentioned, he's calling 
the parents to be leaders of the household. And a leader is not to going to argue or... Make false threats. Yes. Right. Or like what... Uh, Bribe. They're not right. going to bribe. They're not going to sit and yeah. try to or get make ice cream. Right. We, we don't talk to the tourists. You okay. Wait we to be a grandparent to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I just think it was. I just liked how he brought that out and to remain again in control of yourself and your attitudes. Um, so my psalm. I, before you do that, I've got a copy for every person here. If you would like, uh, did it on some heavier stock. So if you want to put it on your fridge or whatever. But these are 49 character traits. We're going to talk more about it next week. But these are excellent. Uh, these are biblical definitions to character traits. I'd love for each one of you to, I've got plenty to have one. All right, so my psalm for tonight is 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So thank you guys for joining us tonight. Invite your friends, neighbors, and relatives to next week and share the word on your socials. Thank you guys and good night.